Today's Binge Bone is brought to you by Miller Lite. Here at The Ringer, hey, we have our disagreements, you know? There shouldn't be any debate about this. Miller Lite? Mmm. The great-tasting light beer. Love it. With only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs, that's fewer calories than half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's really nothing more to talk about. If you have a real argument, let us hear it. Mmm. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite. Hold true. Warning. Binge mode contains adult content. We're going to be answering your questions today, and it's binge mode, so we might go to certain places. So if that's not a thing that you're into, one, why are you even listening to binge mode? Listen to one of our other fine podcasts, like On Shuffle with Mike Peters. No questions about vanishing your own excrement on On Shuffle. I can't wait to talk about this, guys. I wish I could vanish my own excrement. That's all. (laughs) One more warning. Binge mode contains spoilers. Yeah. If you don't yet know why we're saving up our galleons to purchase a Victor Crumb figurine, please proceed with extreme caution. And now binge mode. No blasted letters today. No, sir. Not one single bloody letter. Not one. Welcome to Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes. I'm Allie Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Joining me today, now that he's finished asking Headmaster Dippet if he can spend summer break at Hogwarts. Come on. The murders or near murders have stopped, as far as I know. It's Ringer staff writer, your headmaster, Jason Concepcion. Yes. Mal, I'd much rather stay at Hogwarts than go back to that. To that. You live in a... Podcast studio during the holidays, I believe. Yes, ma'am. And that means it's time for Binge Mode Harry Potter. Yes. Where we're exploring every facet of the Harry Potter universe. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Five points and stars for Binge Mode. Also, go ahead and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. Join our Facebook group, which is only for Binge Mode fans, which is a great place Send us questions for the next time we do one of these Ask the Underscores. Great place. So far on Binge Mode Harry Potter, we've explored the Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and Prisoner of Azkaban books and films, as well as going deep into Quidditch and the Wizarding World of Harry Potter on our HP Extra episodes, which we're dropping between the book and movie bundles. And next Monday, July 30th, we will be beginning our two-week deep dive into Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> On today's HP Extra, yes. we're answering your questions in our first yes. all Harry Potter edition of Ask the Underscore. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge as always. We will be on deep on details deep. from all seven books and eight films and the wider Potter canon. Deep wide canon. <laughs> Taking the entire series into account yes. from the moment your howler arrives. Obviously, it's typically a little easier to predict what we'll be talking about. So really just a general spoiler warning for literally everything. You've been warned. Better open that howler. It'll yes. be worse if we don't. 
So let's dive right in to your outpost. Tons of incredible questions. Great ones. Thank you for sending so many. If we don't answer your question today, guess what? Don't be discouraged. Send it again. We're going to do more of these. This is delightful. We'll be doing these for years to come. We love a dialogue. I love it. Love a big chat. Love a dialogue. (laughs) Number one comes to us today from Katie Burke, who asks, when did you both first read Harry Potter? How had the story impacted you then? Versus how does it impact you now that you're in different places in your life? Great question. Great question. So this is like our Harry Potter origin story. Yes. And then how our relationship to the story has changed, if at all. You want to go first? Yes. So I avoided Harry Potter because I'm one of those people that when there's a new hot thing and I didn't discover it organically on my own, I'm like, "Ah, how good can it really be? (laughs) You know what I mean? So- Harry Potter been going, and I'm like, yeah, this is for kids, and also it's really popular, and blah blah blah. How good? I'm I'm not going to read it right now. And then Deathly Hallows is coming out, summer 2007, and I was like, you know what? I've just got to get on this train. I've got to find out what happens. It was FOMO. It was FOMO, and just so many people in my life were like, can't wait for the book to come out. 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 I'm like, I love books. I need to be, I need to understand what is happening. Right. So I had already seen Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie, when I liked it. So I'm like, okay, this will be fine. And I read them through and I was like, these are great. I (laughs) I was like, these are really great. These are actually great. I was like, Sorcerer's Stone is good. Chamber is good. Azkaban is great. And then you get to Goblin and you're like, it went up five levels from great. And at that point, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is very, very good. And then here I am. And now, so the first time, you're just kind of immersing yourself in the world, getting used to the characters, enjoying the lore. I love to read, but it's not like you go that deep over time. But then the more you read it, certainly the thing that has come out over time has been just what a book about sadness and loss it really is. Like, it's a book about magic's power to help overcome tragedy and loss in a person's life, which I think is a universal message aside from the wizards and the witches and all that stuff. Like it's a story about the power of friendship and the power of relationships and the power of love to overcome great, great loss. And I'll also, and this is something we talked about at the end of Game of Thrones, but it's one of the best stories in which magic and fantasy exists as just like a metaphor for the things people wish for in life, a metaphor for the human condition, you know, like a way to transcend and not necessarily escape from, but analyze the terrible things, the sadness that people go through every day. And I, and that's what's come out to me over time. It's just like, what a book about the sanctity and the importance of life and the tragedy and pain of death. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. What about you? So glad you asked. Yes. What about me? Well, I have a vivid memory of my first Harry Potter experience, which was seeing the Sorcerer Stone movie. This was 2001. I was in Gainesville, Florida. What a weird place to be watching <laughs> Harry Potter movie. Visiting family. And it was like a group outing. Going to the theater. Spend, you know, two and a half-ish hours in the theater. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a young teenager. Yes. Target audience, right? And I come out of the theater and I'm just like, wow, this was dope. Magic was incredible. I'm going to read these books. But, you know, 
early high school. I loved stories, but I was not yet a voracious right. independent reader who, on my own, outside of so school, it was more like sought if, out books. If I'm assigned a book, I will read yes, it. Yes, though this is despite efforts that now, in hindsight, to me, like <laughs> I cherish almost as much as anything in my life. My dad right. built a little bookshelf in my room yeah. and would put fantasy stories and other tales in there that he thought I would love. And uh, what a beautiful man. What a beautiful thing. Saw that movie. Professed my desire to read the books. Did not read them. Mm. Fast forward, Chamber of Secrets movie. Exact same drill. I saw that with my friend Irene. Hi, Irene, if you're listening. We had a great time. I was like, that was scary. Yeah. That was fun. This is great. I'm all in. Same deal. Didn't read the books. (laughs) Though I actually purchased the first book at that point. Right. Saw Prisoner of Azkaban, June 2004. You know, I'm graduating high Mm -hmm. school. I'm about to embark on this new phase of my life. And that movie had such... A transformative impact on me that I drove immediately to a bookstore and bought the four paperbacks through Goblet, went home, started reading the books immediately, and I mean it sincerely when I say my life has never been the same since. That summer before college, I just read the books in essence nonstop over and over again. Order of the Phoenix was out already, Mm -hmm. but when I initially made that purchase, I just got the ones that were out in paperback because I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. So I was reading Goblet of Fire during a week in the Outer Banks with my family, which I will talk about a little more later in terms of why Goblet of Fire is so important to me. As soon as I got home from that trip, I went and got Order of the Phoenix. So then I had all five books that were out, and I just read them over and over and over and over again, literally nonstop. Until Half-Blood Prince came out, by the time I went to college, and this is just a couple months later, you know, I went to college in August of 2004, I was fully immersed in the universe. Like, going back to my dorm room (laughs) on my lunch breaks to read The Leaky Cauldron and to read MuggleNet. Shouts to Melissa. Shouts to Melissa. What up, girl? Anyone I could find to talk to about this, some of my dearest friends in the world to this day are people I met freshman year of college who also shared a passion for Harry Potter. When the Half-Blood Prince cover art was released, I printed it and hung it on my wall. I was just like, I love this thing and I want people to know. Like, I don't care who knows. This is important to me. And because I, uh, you'll be familiar with this part of my personality. I'm slightly obsessive. Yes. (laughs) And so I never really liked to read them out of order. Right. So then when Prince came out, I had to start all over and then just keep reading one through six over and over and over again until Hallows came out. It just became such a huge part of my life right away. I went to the midnight release parties for Half-Blood Prince and for Deathly Hallows. Even the movies, though, I was always highly critical upon first viewing and then would learn on the second and third viewing to kind of appreciate them as standalone products mm-hmm. and not just as like, what did they disappoint me right. with in X, Y, and Z respects. I would go line up for those. I was just as all in as I could be. And I think to answer the then versus now part of this, (laughs) I'm already getting emotional. It's the first question. It just changed the way I felt about stories. So is this your serious reader origin story, you think? Yeah. I mean, I... You know, there are various things that play a role in that, like teachers who were meaningful to me. Yeah. The first time I read Ethan Frome, I remember specifically wow. being Ethan like, Frome. I didn't know I could be this sad. Ethan Frome. Man, I'll tell you, here's a short aside about Ethan Frome. Me and my friends used to say Ethan Frome to the tune of Pearl Jam's Evenflow. 
Incredible. When we were reading it in Incredible. school. Ethan Frome. <laughs> That's beautiful. I mean, there are a million books on the list that are important to me for various respects and are a part of why I love reading and why I love stories. You know, Lord of the Flies is the book that taught me to really think about wow. symbolism. The Great American Novel, which, as I've written on The Ringer in a Philip Roth appreciation, really taught me to appreciate the craft, the power of every word of every sentence. With Harry, it was the first time that I felt like I was truly a part of a community, that I was mm. fully invested in something as it was happening. And like, I didn't get in on day one, but I got in early enough that I could still be a part of it as it was happening. Mm -hmm. And it just made me feel so close to other people who cared about this thing too, in a way that was really meaningful to me then and still is. It also forced me to think critically. I got really into theorizing and the message boards and reading, especially in the weights, those long yeah. weights for six and seven, like speculating, parsing every word of the text to try to figure it out, but then also understanding that it wasn't really about figuring it out. And what it means to me now, it's all of the same things because I think that's one of the things that's incredible about the story is it remains so impactful yeah. in the lives of the people who love it. Sharing this with you, with the binge heads, just an incredible thing for me. It's certainly as I have started to talk about stories in this way, one of the things I appreciate about Harry every day more and more is just that there's always something to find there. You know, no matter how many times I go back and read the books, I always discover something new. I always appreciate something new. Talking about the story with you, talking about the story with people who really love it, it always unlocks something. Yes. There's always a different That's factor so to consider. And it's just so rewarding. And the story always gives you something more. It's like this beautiful balance. It's like something you know you can count on. It's this comfort of a warm hug and a soft blanket and a bowl of soup and all those things that you know are always going to be there for you, but it's always new and surprising every day. And the thing is, it's not over. You know, we have our core seven-book canon, and then there are all these other things in the universe that continue to enter our lives. And I love that. I love that we're always getting more of it. And even if a certain part of it doesn't work as well, that's okay. Yeah. Because I just feel really lucky to be alive <laughs> and experiencing this with other people who care about it. Number two, Thomas Nassif asks, lame question, which may totally <laughs> be terrible for error. Great. Wow. We're reading it. But I would be interested to hear some backgrounds on how you guys prep for these deep dives, the hours it takes of reading the books, watching movies, scoping Pottermore, et cetera. Any behind the scenes stuff like that? Well. My goodness. Let's open this Pandora's box. Ish. A bit. <laughs> sure. Um, we do read the books. We do read the books, Thomas. <laughs> it takes uh, a while. Part of the reason that we wanted to answer this question that Thomas posed yeah. is because we get a lot of questions that are like this. Basically, some version of how do you guys make binge mode? Yeah. You know, how do you approach it? And certainly it varies for us topic to topic. The way we approach Harry is in some ways different from the way we worked on Game of Thrones, but also in some ways, whether it's Thrones or Harry or Weekly or anything else that we work on for the show, there are some through lines and there are some commonalities that are always going to be the same. We spend a lot of time with the material. Yes. Like That might seem like a silly thing to say, but it's probably the best place to start. You know, specifically when we were prepping for Harry, we and Isaac Lee and Zach Cram also, RIP to Jason Cahill, who was once a part of this team. He's not actually dead. He's just not on this team anymore. <laughs> he's busy working on another show and getting a full tattoo sleeve. <laughs> 
getting rid of some of the gray. <laughs> Should we give the context of that comment? Jason Cahill, our former producer, who we love dearly, one day in a meeting, his hair, I should, let me just preface this by saying, he looks like fucking Kenny Rogers. Like his he, hair is gray. He has gray hair. And his it looks great. He looks but like he a silver flux. It looks like John Slattery. <laughs> and he said, and I forget what the context of the wider conversation was, I'm thinking of dying my hair and getting rid of some of the gray silence in the room yeah this comment was greeted by <laughs> silence and shock and all of us looked at him and just said what do you mean what do you mean some, some? <laughs> your hair is gray my guy oh we miss cahill every single day we really do we miss cahill on his clearly totally gray hair every single day anyway all of us as a group you know before we even started sketching out every episode or working on the outlines, we read the entire series, start to finish, did a full reread, a full refresh, rewatched all the movies. And then we sat down and said, how do we want to break this up? What themes, what narrative arcs are interesting yeah. to us? What do we want to put into each episode? What do we want to make sure every episode has in common? What's unique? What's different? And then we read it all again. <laughs> To actually work on every episode. So now, you know, as we're recording each of these, we're taking those chapters that we're recording each day yes. and we're diving fully into those with fresh eyes to answer the question about Pottermore. Yeah, any other resource where we can find more information, whether it's in the film, whether it's on Pottermore, whether it's in, you know, a, a book like Fantastic Beasts and Quidditch Through the Ages, Harry's School Books, an interview maybe that JKR has conducted, anything. We try to consume as much of it as we possibly can, partially so that we're as well informed as we can be, but partially, honestly, and this is where the fun comes in, because we love it. That's it's true. just so fun to immerse ourselves fully in this story that means so much to us and to just find and discover new things. All of that that you said, I think it's important when trying to do something like this that you take a story and put yourself in it as if it were real, as if the rules of the world applied and as if you're a real person with real urges and desires and needs and wants existing in this world where magic exists and there are wizards and witches. And just trying to understand a character's perspective with that in mind. When you do that, you'll find all these little nuggets that reveal themselves to you, all these little weird truisms. You kind of understand, or at least come to believe you understand, why a character might do a thing that you never really understood before. Like, Megalian is a great example of this. Like, trying to understand, like, why a teacher... Why would a teacher give a student an expensive broom? Right. Why would that happen? And then you'd come up with a reason why. Approaching any piece of literature, a story, any movie in that way is just a great method of discovering things about it. There's a book called How Fiction Works by James Wood that really changed the way like I read stories and the way it talks about the development of the novel and the way really good authors put the thoughts of the character in narrative prose in a way that's really subtle that you don't really think about. I learned a bunch of skills from that book that I call on all the time and I, and I call on when reading these Harry Potter chapters. So that's kind of a larger answer, less of a nuts and bolts answer, but more a philosophical answer to this question. I think that one of the keys that we have sort of discovered together for Binge Mode is also that there is a harmony between these things that we have respectively like th thought 
and believed for a really long time and these convictions that we hold deeply mm-hmm. and also enough respect for the material to understand that it's like a living thing and yeah. that our conversations with each other and with other people can unlock something new about it. So we really like to, before we even get on mic, spend a lot of time debating. Yeah. You know, what segments are we going to pick? Like a small but maybe emblematic example is just how we talk about the House Cup, who is going to be the winner of every episode. And it's very rarely actually like a clear cut, easy pick. And we go back and forth and we debate. And sometimes the way that one or all of us thinks about a certain portion of the story will actually change from having that conversation. And then there's a hybrid of pre-planned discussion, outlining And then just the nimbleness to sort of see where the conversation goes and to be organic and to have fun with it, to kind of lean into the bits when they develop, see where they take us, see which Seamus impersonation of the day will move us to laughter and tears the most. And, you know, we're just figuring it out as we go, honestly. We love binge mode. We love Harry Potter. We love outlines. Thank you, Google Docs. Number three, schmood. Yeah. Schmud? We think schmud? Schmud? Like I, mud? I'm going to go schmud. schmud. I like schmud. All right, I'm going to go schmud. Okay. Schmud, let us know who was right. Yeah. <laughs> schmud or schmud says, you mentioned during Chamber that you had a ranking of the books, both best and personal favorite. Would the two of you be willing to share? Ah, boy, would we? Yeah. This is tough. First of all, we should just say, these rankings, these personal power rankings, they're an ever-evolving affair. They change over time. Yeah. They're not set forever. So who knows? Maybe at the end of binge mode, they'll be different for now. Where do you stand with your personal power rankings? And do you want to quickly establish the difference between best and favorite? Okay. So the difference between best and favorite is best is the list that you consider to be objectively, aside from your own personal feelings, the best. Characters are the most well-drawn. The story is the most engaging. It does what it's set out to do. Favorite is just... What are the stories that you return to that you think about the most that you personally like? Some people like red vines and some people don't. Right. Who doesn't like red vines? There's, I don't like red vines. But do you like, I don't do like, you like Twizzlers? I don't. See, that's the thing. <laughs> I like candy. Yeah. And I don't like licorice. But the people who like licorice love licorice. Interesting. So that's what, I I, that's what, you're what saying. That's what we're saying. So <laughs> I'll go with what I consider to be the best books first. Number okay. one, I'll go with Goblet. I think that... As I said in the previous answer, the story just seems to reach a critical mass at that point where the number of characters and the number of magical items in the world and what we know about the world reach this alchemy that propels the story to another level. I mean, the last third of Goblet is like you basically can't stop reading. And when Voldemort, spoiler, comes back (laughs) to life, it's freaking chilling. It's chilling. And the other thing is I want to say – One of the things that you can control in storytelling is timing. The basic format of a story hasn't really changed that much in thousands of years, right? Right. But the thing that Rowling does so well in this story is you don't really think that Voldemort is fully coming back at this. I'm thinking, okay, book six, you know, end of book six to set up book seven. And then here he is. Mm -hmm. And it just blew me away. So that's my number one. Half-Blood Prince. Love the villain's origin story always. I think the opening chapter of that book is incredible. And the cave is one of the most like Harry and Dumbledore together 
is incredible. Tattooed onto your arm. Yeah, love Half-Blood Prince. Azkaban 3, that to me is the book where the story just went up three notches from the previous two, which are very good. Then I go Hallows, love an ending. But am I going to read Hallows all the time? There's so much death and it makes me sad. I like the other three better. Interesting. No, no shots to anybody else. Order number five. It can be a slog at times, and I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Sorcerer's Stone and then Chamber. Now, my favorites are different. My favorite book in the whole series is Order for two reasons. One, I agree with all the critiques of that book, and I agree that Harry is like a fucking whiny brat throughout. <laughs> but I think it's so earned. I just think it's so earned and so necessary for the story. And I also think it's just incredibly brave on Rowling's part to be like, you know what? I've set this story up. We're heading to the home stretch. People feel a certain way about my characters. And now I'm going to make this guy unlikable. And how brave of her to do that at that time. Yeah. And also think about yourself at 15, the weight of the world on your shoulders. I could imagine myself being like, I just want to date girls and play sports. Like, I don't want to <laughs> do it. Like yeah, I don't want to do all this stuff. That just felt very real to me. So I love that book. And all the ministry stuff is incredible. Deathly Hallows, because I love an ending. I love an ending of a story. I love it when a story ends. <laughs> George R. R. Martin, are you listening? I love it when a story ends. Goblet, for all the reasons I said above. Azkaban, for all the reasons I said above. Half-Blood Prince, because there's chapters I love in that. Chamber, because the Tom Riddle stuff is incredible. Even though the rest of the book is like, ah, not that great in the context of Harry Potter. And then Sorcerer's Stone 7, because it's like, I know everything that happens. Am I going to return to that book that much? No. That's my order of favorites. What about you? So our lists are kind of different. Yeah. More similar at the bottom of the rankings than at the top. I struggle with a couple of these choices, mostly because I feel— A lot of them are very close together. That's the thing. There's that. There's and not a lot of It's difference. like I feel a sense of betrayal, like I'm betraying the story that I rank lower than another story. I feel guilt and shame. I love all of these books so much. The whole story is so important to me, and it's—I love them all. Yes. They're all number one. That said, I will rank them. Yes. <laughs> I will rank them. Best. I think that Half-Blood Prince is the best book in the series. I think that Half-Blood Prince is one of the best books ever written. I think it is a masterpiece every time I return to it. And I have returned to it many, many, many times. I am astonished anew by what she was able to achieve. I think it is a note-for-note, pitch-perfect novel. Okay. Number two, Deathly Hallows. I don't think we can overstate how hard it was to end this story well and what an incredible thing it is that she actually pulled it off. I agree. The on the run shit goes on forever. That's just me. Do we need to be on the run for a year? You know, like what I mean? Like, I think a lot, of, a lot of people say that, that the thing that they like less about it or that makes it a book they're less interested in returning to kind of regardless of the end is yeah. just, you know, you sort of miss Hogwarts. Yeah. You want to be at Hogwarts. You want the familiarity of that school year and the structure it brings. You want to feel like you're in the magical world. You lose some of that magical world when you're just in the woods stewing mushrooms. <laughs> but I have always just really loved that. Mm. And like similarly to what you said about the choice to kind of make Harry a dick in order, feeling brave, I think removing I Hogwarts as a safety net was also really brave. I agree with that a million percent. And to say like this boy is left with nothing but the choices he has to make and the weight of those decisions and the people in his life. And I think that when the story is ripped 
down to just that humanity and his relationships with Ron and Hermione and the choices that he has to make. And the way she writes his internal monologue in that book is astounding to me. The maturation and growth that you feel every time he reflects on anything is just incredible. The moment when he's deciding Horcruxes or Hallows, like I am just so gripped by that every time and so astonished by the writing itself and the way that she brings you in fully. And more than anything else, I just think the actual conclusion of the book is an unrivaled achievement. The three-chapter stretch, The Prince's Tale, The Forest Again, and King's Cross is my favorite three-chapter stretch in the entire book. Mm -hmm. The Forest Again is my favorite chapter in the entire series. It is perfection. And she pulled it off in every respect, emotional impact, the actual magic of it, the mythology of it making sense, all of it. It's incredible. It's a real achievement. Goblet is next. I'm going to save most of my Goblet comments for my favorite list. But basically, I agree with everything you said about what an achievement it is and the pivot point in the series to be able to level up so fully in that way in terms of how dark the series got from there, in terms of the length of the books, the depth of the books, the widening of the world, having to sustain that not only in each book, but over four books. An incredible feat. Next for me is Order. I think Order of the Phoenix is an incredible book. I'm not as partial to it personally on the favorite scale as you are. But again, the juggling act within that book, the darkness, the introspection, and the magic that we get. Like, you can't fuck up a Voldemort-Dumbledore duel after you're setting up that rivalry for five books, and she doesn't, and it's just fabulous. Next is Azkaban. I always struggle most on these lists with where I put Order and Azkaban relative to each other. They're mirror books in a lot of ways, and I think... For me, the relative order in this case just comes down to the fact that it's harder to sustain what she sustained in order for that many pages. And then just like you, I end with Stone at 6 and Chamber at 7. I love those books. I actually never get tired of reading them. I'm always awed and floored by how much foreshadowing and how much groundwork is laid early in those stories. We've obviously spent a lot of time on Binge Mode talking about that and identifying those things. It is a testament to her adept outlining and planning and plotting Mm -hmm. into how much of this she Mm -hmm. really had from the beginning. And when you look at those, you really appreciate it. And I think there's also just an element with Stone in particular of like, wow, you built a world. You established all these characters. You did it really quickly and really well. That's awesome. Favorite, number one, Goblet of Fire. Not only my favorite Harry Potter book, but my favorite book of all time. Here's how, as plainly as I think I can state it, without just weeping into the microphone for 40 minutes, which I'm happy to do. (laughs) (laughs) Goblet of Fire changed the way I felt about reading. It changed the way I thought about stories. When I read that book, again, that was the summer after high school, before college, the week I read Goblet of Fire, I was in the Outer Banks. I was down there with my dad, my stepmom, my sister. I have such vivid, like almost flashbulb memories of hopping waves in the ocean with my stepmom, Debbie, and just like incessantly talking to her about Winky and Barty Crouch Jr. And like not being able even for a second to stop thinking about the story. And then when I got to the final quarter to the conclusion, it was the first day to that point in my life where on a family vacation, I was like, I'm not going to the beach today. You guys go, leave me alone. I cannot put this down. I can't walk away. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever had that experience that I ever got to feel firsthand what people meant when they said, I can't put this story down. And 
you know, as I said earlier, then when I went home, I got order and I just kept rereading and rereading. And Goblet was the book that opened this whole world up to me and that just made me want to live in it forever. And I'm just so grateful for that book. And I'm so, so, so fond of it because not only of how enjoyable it is to read, how masterfully constructed is it. I think the plot, the climax of that book is actual genius. The amount of reveals and twists that simultaneously have to completely shock you, but also make perfect sense when you trace back everything that got you there. It's an astonishing story and also just means so much to me because of what it did for me for as a reader. So that's number one for me. Number two, Hallows, for all the reasons I mentioned above. The emotional impact of the end of that book, I don't know. I can't get enough of it. Every time I read it, I weep, and then I weep some more. Mm-hmm. I love it. I never tire of it. Next is Prince for me. The memories in particular, I think the way that she is able to give you a front row seat for the making of evil is so compelling to me and something we very rarely get in fantasy stories this effectively. And I love everything about the Harry Dumbledore relationship in that book. Next is Azkaban, which I just love. Every time I read it, it's a delight. I always am, though, like, I can't wait to get to the back half of this series. And then Orders next. Again, those could easily flip kind of a four or five tie for me there. And then Stone and Chamber, much for the same reasons we said above. They're all wonderful. Love them all. Can't get enough. We'll do this order for the movies at some point, maybe more later, deeper into the pod. We've dropped some of our hot takes about some of the later films. And now let's go to a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. With three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered right to your door in a small... How do they do that? Sized box. With free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. Oh, yeah. But the best part, yes, the best part. Tell me. Is that you can be sure your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. After all, you spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash binge mode and using binge mode at checkout. That's casper.com slash binge mode. Offer code binge mode for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to binge mode. Number four. It's a two-parter. At ZGK asks, if you could have one of the following magical objects, what would you want? Marauder's Map, Invisibility Cloak, Time Turner. And Daniel White asks, favorite or most impressive bit of magic in the series? Hmm. So... For the second part, we're going to eliminate the Marauder's Map, the Invisibility Cloak, and the Time Turner from being eligible from right. that broader question, just so we don't have overlap. So what about that first one, the map, the I cloak, or the Time Turner? What do you pick? This is an Wait. easy question. Establishing rules here. Oh, my God. What does it even mean for you to exactly. have the Marauder's Map? Exactly. That's off the table. Boom. Oh, okay. Easy. It's too geographically centric. I move around. I like to move around. So let's move, get that out of the way. Okay. Invisibility cloak. Very, very useful. Mm-hmm. Extremely useful. It's a hello. Little creepy. In use. Yes. One thing about a lot of the magic and the magical items is that they're a little creepy if you think about them for too long. It's a lot of like, I'm going to control your mind or I'm going to spy on you or I'm going to sneak up on you. Love the invisibility cloak. 
have nothing bad to say about it. That said, man, I want that redo. Mm -hmm. I want that do over. Yeah. I want the ability to be like, I messed up that whatever it is, that social exchange, that I missed a deadline, whatever it is. Couple turns, go back five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. Let's do this all again. I'm going to go to Vegas and make millions. (laughs) All right. Let me play devil's advocate with you with the time turner for a minute. Couple things. One, now, story to story, author to author, the rules and the logic of time travel will change. But in the Harry Potter universe, our understanding is that you're not really doing it over. It always happened that way. You just did it that way without knowing you did it that way, right? Like you're living time in a loop. You're not creating a new path. Then you are a person who drinks a lot of coffee and does not sleep a lot. Do you really want to be adding more hours to your day? I mean, I just think when you need it, you're going to need it. When you need it, there's nothing else that you could have. Are you worried about control? Like, what's the limit? When do you stop? Are you just going to suddenly be like 90 years old in a week? Listen, here's what I'll do. I'm going to go to Vegas for a day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to win every bet at the sports book. Mm -hmm. Now I have this cushion of financial stability, which will take so much stress off my life that I think the time turner stuff, it balances out in the long run. And I'm only going to use it in emergencies. Would you though? Yeah. Do you think you'd have that self-control? Yeah. It's not like I'm going to be like, oh man, I should have got the chicken sandwich. Now I messed (laughs) up. (laughs) I don't know. It seems like a drug to me. That's part of the reason I can't allow myself to pick it. Sure. Is I just think I'd arrive at my desk in the morning and then I'd be like, did I give Halo a loving enough goodbye this morning? You know, and I would just constantly, (laughs) I think I'm I'm too analytical and I harp too much on everything. I would just get lost in a, a loop of my own anxiety and doubt. I agree with your point about the map and its limitations, though I do love the map. It's one of my favorite items in the story. As I explained in the Azkaban episodes, I think what it represents about the quest and the journey of discovery is wonderful to me. I don't know how much utility it would have for me in my actual life. I'm going to pick the cloak. Look, sometimes we just all want to disappear. And I like that the cloak in the story is often a tool for Harry to go somewhere, to do something, to find something, to solve something. But it doesn't have to be. You know, it can just be a way for you to melt away. Also, remember from the story, the true magic of the cloak can protect others as well as yourself. Also, I would love to have one of the Hallows. It would be a good step one for my personal quest for immortality. The time turner and the map are not helping me become immortal, right? I guess. Is that... <laughs> I, does immortality, it's tough Listen, one you me. don't need to worry about repeating those hours if you're immortal. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I just think um, immortality, <laughs> like, it, what's great about it? I would accept... Listen, give me that Sorcerer's Stone. I'd like to be like up there with Nikki Flamel at the six, seven hundred mark. But I think immortality just is so like exhausting after a while. I'm so tired after a while. Everyone's dead that I liked. <laughs> you meet new people you like. <laughs> yeah, but it's then they die too. You can keep listening to binge mode. And then, but, then I get, but then it's like you meet someone and all you're thinking is you'll die. Yeah, I, that part would be tough. It's like I'm enjoying you, but this is a blink of an eye to me and you'll be dead soon. Well, listen. I wish wish you and Eloise Mintumble much love and luck in your constant one turn of the time turner (laughs) to place a new bed in Vegas. Eloise Mintumble, she effed up. (laughs) Shouts to you, Mintumble. So the next part of this, the favorite or most impressive bit of magic in the series, this question from Daniel White. God, I mean, 
almost impossible to answer. So many directions you could go. This is yeah. definitely going to be one that we both regret as soon as we finish recording. We're like, oh, I wanted to say the Expelliarmus. five <laughs> other things. I'm going to go with my gut here. And the yes, first two things me. that came to mind for me, and these are like, wow, basic answers, but I don't care. I am basic and I'm fine with it. One, the Patronus charm. Because, Great. first of all, a beautiful, crucial moment and thing for Harry on his character arc, on his journey. Just always so proud of him when he realizes that it was him all along it is quite and casts the Patronus. And I love what it represents. I love what it symbolizes. This force within you, like in Harry's case, mm-hmm. a bit of his father inside himself, different for every person, but this force inside of you that is goodness and light and that protects you and protects others. And I love the elements of the story. I think this is a quiet, subtle, but very important theme of the story. The importance and like the gentle potency of the magic that is meant to protect rather than harm. I love that. You know, the fact that Harry uses Expelliarmus, which is meant to disarm and prevent somebody else from attacking rather than using a spell that attacks. I think of the Patronus much the same way. It's meant to save and spare. And then the second thing that came to mind for me, and I hesitate to even mention this because this is not that we will get here. Sure. Listeners, binge heads, we promise we will get here. When the pensive becomes a key plot point, we will talk about how the magic of it really works, what we understand about it, what we don't, what the limitations are. But the pensive, because again, I'm just so drawn to what it's asking you to think think about and consider. Mm. I love the idea of memory and how memory functions in our lives and in our relationships with other people. And when we are or are not reliable narrators in our own lives, like what can we trust Mm. from other people? What can we even trust about ourselves? Can we trust our own recollections? What if we could explore them in a different way? Can we trust that different way? I really like those questions, and it's, like, one of the reasons that I'm still watching The Affair, even though it's garbage. It's, like, the idea of how different people think about the same thing is really, is genuinely fascinating and compelling to me, and I love the pensive. It's the thing that I most often find myself thinking, boy, I wish I had that. That seems handy. Mm. What about you? Well, I'm going to take this in a few different ways. My favorite is, I think, the Fidelius charm. Love that. It took a little bit to wrap my mind really around what it is. Right. And just the idea that you can embed a secret in a person. Yes. They are now the only one with possession of that secret. And the thing that's hidden could be right there in the room, but nobody can ever find it or ever see it or ever engage with it. That is like wild. That is so crazy to me. I love what that says about trust. Yeah. It's an incredible sentiment and also just a really creative bit of world building that Rowling has made there. Love that. In terms of you know, like whenever I think about a story like this. Guys, I'm this a, is where Jason tells you he wishes he could make horcruxes. Yeah, like <laughs> I love the killing curse. How often I'd wish to be able to kill someone, just rip their soul out and leave no trace. No. You know, <laughs> whenever I'm like, you know, thinking about a story that I really like that's a fantasy or sci-fi story, I'm like, what is a thing in that world that I would love to use? Mm-hmm. And the bit of magic that I would use more than anything would be Reparo. Oh, interesting. I hate it when stuff breaks. Oh, what a great way to think about it. Just the most practical daily. Yeah, like I probably okay. use that every week. So through that lens, I would pick Akio. 
Yes. Just to be just, able to use a summoning charm. <laughs> First of all, I would never leave my fucking couch right, Akio, or bed. Right. Akio laptop. Akio, Akio ice cream. Akio ice cream. <laughs> Akio Postmates person yeah, at my front door with yeah. my ice cream. Yeah. Very handy. Number five. Nick Whitaker asks, other than the Fantastic Beast movies, what sort of spinoff story would you like to see? Possibly the Marauder's Time at Hogwarts? Oh, okay. Any number of possibilities you could go with here. What do you... Hope to see. Oh, my God. Well, here's the thing. We talked about this yes. recently. This is what I would like to see. I would like to see a police procedural <laughs> style story about the Aurors. Right. With Kingsley Shacklebolt as the main character. And it's just like him and his partner, whoever it is, going around and like figuring out how something got hexed or how like what dark wizard is out doing something and just investigating stuff. I think that would be really fun. Like, let's go to a totally separate part of the world that we haven't even touched on yet. Like, the Aurors have this kind of fascination they hold over Harry, which is like, man, that's what I want to do. I want to hunt down dark wizards. I want to find out what's going on. I want to be on the front lines all the time. I want to know more about, like, how they go about their day. Like, clearly, it's not just all the time like Voldemort, right? There's, like, day-to-day stuff that they do, and I want to know what that is. Listen— this sounds like a great lead-in for the new Nathan Fillion show, The Rookie. Right. <laughs> a great one, too. <laughs> I love that answer. Part of the reason that Jason and I wanted to answer this question is because, you know, we are often aligned in how we think yeah. about this story. But questions like this with spinoffs, we often approach very differently. Yes. For example, with A Song of Ice and Fire, with Game of Thrones, yes. when the spinoff rumors first surfaced, mm-hmm. I was so so in on the idea of just full Robert's Rebellion. And we had like a slack fight about it. Or you're just like, this is stupid. Fight is is overblown. Well, listen, anytime we're not like, (laughs) you're my creative soulmate, it feels like a fight. So I wanted more of a thing that I knew I loved already. Yeah. And you were like, give me something fresh. Yeah, I want something new. And I want so novelty. It's very similar here. I want the Marauders. I've wanted the Marauders it, for honestly. more than a decade. And I will not stop wanting the Marauders until I get it. Every single thing we got in the story about those characters, those years at Hogwarts, yeah. I just adored. And I want more of it. And there's also still so much we don't know. We don't know exactly how intense their bullying was. We need <laughs> <laughs> Give me more of it, please. What else? What other <gasps> spin-offs? I want a, the story of Tonks. I want more Tonks. Incredible take. I just think Tonks was like really fun and like Do you just want to hear Tonks say, that's a big man? That's a big man. (laughs) Yeah. Shouts to everybody who is in both Game of Thrones and in Harry Potter. There's a lot of you, and I respect it. It's great stuff. Yes. What about, like, Grop's journey (laughs) growing up in the mountains? It's this very internal, like, where's the dialogue coming from? Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's all subtitled, and I think that's a hard production. Okay, so here's a serious question. Yeah. We obviously have the core Harry Potter canon. Mm -hmm. We have years one through seven at Hogwarts. We have the epilogue, the 19 years later, and then we have Cursed Child. So we have a lot of years in Harry and Ron and Hermione's lives covered. Do you want more of the time between the end of Deathly Hallows and Cursed Child? Like, do you want to be with Harry at Aura's training? Do you want to follow Hermione's path to becoming Minister of Magic, et cetera, et cetera? 
I would love that. I would never say no to that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I want is like the stuff that I don't know. I want the fresh stuff. Like right. give me the story of the founders and how they came together. And like, I would love a founder's one. A founder's story would be unbelievable. <sighs> Something like that would be incredible. Like I want the new stuff. Like, I've spent a lot of time with these characters, and I love them, but give me something fresh. Give me something new. Really fill out the world for me. I would love a founder story. That's incredible. Part of what I want to know the most about is more of Dumbledore's backstory. I'm obviously hoping that the Fantastic Beast movies give that to us. If they don't, then I will continue to want that desperately. Young Dumbledore. Any interest in an Ilvermorny American magic school story? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I, did you feel fine. like you got your American magic fix with Fantastic Beast 1? Yeah, I kind of did. Like, here's the thing. I actually was, like, surprised at how much I enjoyed Fantastic oh, Beast 1. Well, she wrote the screenplay. She, you know? I, so that's great. But, like, I'm still hung up on nomad as a tough term. Tough stuff. And I think about the Americanized terms for the magic stuff, and I would shudder, and I'm like, I can't. Can I do it? I'm not sure I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a nomad. A what? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is that I would read, watch, listen to. That's the answer. Touch. Really. Whatever it is, give it to me. Any part of this world. But if you're asking me what I prefer, us. those are the things. Love it. Number six. Keith asks, if you could have only one wizard to assist you in battle, who would it be? Ooh, oh, my goodness. This is a great, great question. Okay, so living or living or dead, living Anyone or dead. is eligible. Yes. any character. We've Let's ever do living or dead. Let's do any character, and then characters still alive at the end of all the. That's which is a spoiler, and I'm sorry to everyone. I mean, how lame is it to say Harry? Is it too lame? Is it prohibitively no, I mean, listen, lame? The guy Harry's really good in a fight. He's really good in a duel. Expelling Harmus almost always works. I mean, that's the thing, <laughs> and also like, listen, he's four and zero against Voldemort. Who else do you want? He's got a few blind spots, but like when it comes to heat of battle, very few with a better record than him. Numerous times, Nobody. certainly, where he could have died. Yeah. But he didn't. So that's good. I think the pick probably yeah. has to be Dumbledore. I agree. Peak that's my Dumbledore. pick. So peak Dumbledore is great. Like Dumbledore against Grindy in the duel. In a battle is great. What we saw Dumbledore do against Voldemort in Order of the Phoenix, like, homie's a hundred and how many years old at that point? He's making statues come to life. He's, like, just incredible. Flawless magic. Yeah. Just a brains and brawn combination. Also, what we see from Dumbledore in the cave, Mm. not the potion drinking, but, like, when he's touching the wall and says, this place has known magic. Moments like that, you're like, oh, this guy is just as good as it gets. He knows more about magic than anyone else. This is great. I think it's got to be Dumbledore. Here's the way I would approach this. I thought you were going to put Kingsley. (laughs) I know. Kingsley is my dude. Here's the way I'm going to approach this. Do I already know what I'm doing? Like, he's just there to help. Mm -hmm. He's there to have my back. And I know— He's your second? Right. He's my— Well, (laughs) I'm his second, but, you know, like, I know what I'm doing. I can handle myself. Or two, do I want to learn, right? So I think in a battle to the death, I know what I'm doing. It's Dumbledore every time, of course, because mm-hmm. this guy is great. He's not really going to explain what happened, and he's <laughs> going to be very cagey about everything after and leading up to it, but that's the guy you're probably going to win. Now, if I want to kind of figure out like how to do this magical battling stuff, how to defend myself against the dark arts, I kind of think I want Man-Eye Moody. Because Mad Eye is. Wait. 
the real Mad Eye okay. Moody. <laughs> not now, Marty Crouch pretending to be right. Mad Eye Moody. Now here's the thing with Mad Eye Moody. <laughs> My guy got got and got put into a suitcase. <laughs> You just picked a guy who spent a year in his got, own trunk. Yes, but my guy got got. I agree if with I you. I learn from anyone. I wanted to be the guy who spent but, a year in his own but trunk. he's going to be like explaining stuff to you. I guess so. It really, think, it should be looping. sound carries through the <laughs> trunk. He's going to be explaining I, things I to you. I fully am saying that my guy got got. <laughs> Here's... Not that but we the need... thing with Dumbledore is you're not you're, he's going to do everything and you're not really going to be getting better because Dumbledore is doing stuff and then you're like what was that and he's just like at a later time I will inform you all of this <laughs> goodbye and he disappears oh man one underrated element that makes Dumbledore such an excellent clear number one draft pick yeah. here is that he is a fabulous trash talker he does like, talk the trash. One of the best moments in the entire series is when he says, it was foolish to come here tonight, Tom. The Aurors are on their way. Calling Voldemort Tom to his face as they're about to duel is just epic. Who else is even in the consideration set here? Lupin. I mean, one thing about Lupin is he was kind of like, I don't really know how to fight off Dementors. That's it was just fu- one on the train. Lupin's I, an, a, I, a wonderful teacher, yeah, but and I, I think, love him. But do you think he's a fighter? He handled himself well up until the very, very end. I do think that, and <laughs> this is going to sound prejudiced against werewolves. I do think being a werewolf, it's not like you can go out with him all the time. You know what I mean? Well, I think that actually is an argument against him, even when he's not transformed, is he's yeah. always keeping his ferociousness in check. He's yeah. worried about becoming a monster. What about Molly Weasley? Not my daughter, you bitch! Listen, Molly can... <laughs> handle that wand as we all know as Arthur knows as Arthur well knows <laughs> whooped Bellatrix whooped her ass oh yeah yeah listen Molly Weasley when roused as fierce as it gets roused or aroused but when when roused and I'm aroused <laughs> <laughs> and Harry Potter listen yes. you know that yeah. that's the thing is yeah. Harry here's t- my you- one issue though my okay. one issue with Dumbledore I know I'm coming out of it alive if I'm next to Harry I'm not sure <laughs> That he lives. I think that he makes it. Oh my God. But I'm not sure I make it. Wow. Tough look for our guy. That's all I'm saying. If you're next to Dumbledore, you'll win and you'll be fine. If you're next to Harry, he will win. Yeah. Are you living? Speaking on behalf unsure. of Cedric and Sirius <laughs> and fair, of many, 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 many people. <laughs> Where do you put Voldemort on this list? Man, I don't even fuck with this guy. <laughs> you can't trust him. You just can't. Right. Like, no matter what he says and what you do, he will take the first opportunity to fuck you over. Can't even think about going into battle with that guy. What about Hagrid? It's Pure a- strength, boundless loyalty, and the giant's blood, some protection there in his, it's just in his hide. Right, it's true. Like, various spells and curses bounce do, just off bounce him. off yeah. of him. Human shield, almost. It's a great one. As a meat shield, I think he has a lot of utility. <laughs> I think you're going to have to be doing a lot of the thinking and planning, though, in that fight. <laughs> I, this is no shots at my guy yeah. Hagrid, who I love. <laughs> Incredible. And well, you know what? Hermione also very good. Like, Unless she's facing a boggart who's telling her she failed her test, Hermione is almost incomparable. I will say this about Hermione. You're going to be prepared yeah. when you go into it. It's true. You're going to be absolutely almost over-prepared for the fight. It's true. What about our guy Snape? 
He's also very good. Extremely gifted. Really yes. underrated just in terms of his pure ability as a wizard. There are so many moments in the series where J.K.R. is telling you this guy is exceptionally yes. talented. The Wolfsbane Potion, one of countless that we can Incredible. List. Obviously, the Half-Blood Prince's book itself, he's inventing magic. That, which he's is incredible. Spells. Unbelievable. Granted, some of those spells are meant to rip other people open, but... Big deal. Listen, maybe I'll you say, need that in a battle. He, my issue with Snape is like... If we're in a fight to the death, I don't need a guy making snide comments about my magic, <laughs> which I think he would. He'd just be like, is that the best you could do? How disappointing. How disappointing. You are lucky that I am here. You should be kneeling at my feet. It's like, Les, can we beat these guys first? God. Amazing. What about late stage Neville? No, it's I'm out. What about Buckbeak? Buckbeak is great, Norbert. but like kind of a kind of a one note with Buckbeak. He needs to be in Talon range, which I think is not ideal. Ron, I'm out. Oh yeah, come on. <laughs> Love Ron McGonagall. Also very very good. She's phenomenal. Unless you have savages who are blindsiding her with sucker punch, well, here's, stunner spells to the chest. Here's the thing: she took good. she took multiple stunners to the chest, and it put her down. But she brushed that off and she was did. back in the fight. Number seven. Ooh, I like this one a lot. Christine Pivovar. Yes. Favorite minor characters, like Tonks, Prominence, or Below. Okay, so in classic binge mode fashion, before we even answer the question, we need to figure out what the question really means. What is a minor character in Harry Potter? Do we actually think Tonks is a minor character? Also, obviously, yes. minor and major is too strict of a binary. So what are we really considering minor when we answer this question? We debated this. Yes. So let's. I am struggling with this. So let's open up the debate because I am not sure how to do it either. I think a good baseline is, do you have a storyline? Mm -hmm. Do you have an arc? Okay. If you don't, I think you're clearly minor. Like Kingsley Shacklebolt. Yeah. Love him. Great guy. Doesn't really have a storyline. Super excited about his new fall drama. Yeah. Clearly a minor character. Now, Luna Lovegood, we go to her house and we meet her family. Yeah. And she is instrumental in our discovery of a new magical beast. Mm -hmm. She unlocks a lot for Harry. She unlocks a lot for Harry. I would put her above minor. I think minor is doing her a disservice. Right. There's like high minor, light major. There are all these sort of... Yeah. This is a spectrum. It's very, very tough. I now, don't think we could count Luna as a minor character. How do you feel about Tonks? So, okay, using your logic of what you just said for Luna. This is why it's like so we go, hard. We, we meet Tonks' family, too. Yeah. You know, Tonks has a love story with Lupin. Yeah. I don't know that I think of any Tonks-centric plot that's other the, than the loop. Like, even the Lupin one, I'm like, that's a Lupin storyline. That's the thing. Even going to her house is more of a Harry on the run storyline and not a Tonk centric thing, which is, I think is slightly different right. from the Luna going to her house and meeting her family scene. Oh, this is hard. It's very, very hard. Any teacher who we get meaningful time with is a major character, even if they're only in one book. Flitwick? Flitwick, I say, is a minor character. That's, I know very little about him from, right. from the story. Okay, what about Trelawney? She's a major character. She's clearly a major character. Because of the prophecies. The comedic weight of her character. And she's in multiple— but she gets less pages than other people we That's, might actually say are minor, Yeah, is so interesting. What about Lockhart? That's actually who I had in mind when I asked the question about the teachers, because he's obviously 
inarguably a, a f- major character in Chamber, and then disappears. But is he a major essentially. character in the series. That's this is why this is very hard. I think I would lean minor with Lockhart, even though he is such a focus of one book. Now, here, here's part of the issue. I think you could use that same rubric to look at Umbridge mm-hmm. and call her not a minor character. But then the thing is with Umbridge, <laughs> she's almost the most evil character in the whole story, or at least second to Voldemort. I don't know. I, I actually think I hate her more than Voldemort. Voldemort's just doing his thing. Umbridge like <laughs> had a choice and is just chose to be the worst person. Voldemort didn't have a choice. Yeah, but it's it was so long ago that it's like, you know what I mean? Like Umbridge is like every second she's on the page, she has a choice to not do the thing she's doing. Oh man. It's very, very hard. This is hard. Seamus Isaac Lee is putting Seamus Sha- is a minor character. Clearly for a minor sure. character. He has but no- I'm not, I love him just because of the movies. <laughs> yeah, Seamus is set dressing. Like, yeah. no shots at Seamus, but he's unambiguously a minor character. Not a big fan of Seamus. Doesn't do a lot for us. Wow. What about Crumb? Crummy. <sighs> Zach Cram and I were arguing about Crumb as we walked into the studio today. I would argue it's not dissimilar to the Lockhart thing. Right. Like, major character in a book appears if, again. If you dick down one of the major characters, <laughs> does that mean you're, you're then not a minor character? Oh, my God. This is really hard. I don't know how to answer this. All right. My favorite minor character is Aberforth Dumbledore. Wow. How about that? Does that count? I think it does. He's relevant. You know who he is. You know he matters. But also someone else maybe could have performed his function. And we actually spent very little time with him. Does that work? Yes, that works for me. Here's my favorite minor character, Fleur Delacour. Because... You want to hate her so much. She's so beautiful. Is she a minor character, though? I think she is. Not only is she central to Goblet, she then marries into one of the main families in the story. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah, but in the end, (laughs) she has very little impact on the story. On balance. That's true. Same would be for Crumb, then. Yes. I'm going to count her as minor, and it's four. And I think because you want to really not like her, and then— she shows her medal and her true devotion to Bill. And you're like, all of a sudden, like, you know what? Fleur rides or dies for Bill, <sighs> and great. I ride or die for Fleur. I love that. Yeah. The moment after his face is mauled. And, and she's, she's still like, like, I love him. Yeah. And like, that is an instant tearjerker for yes. me every that's why I, that's why single I'm, time. I'm so down for Fleur. And also just the way, like, that Rowling writes in those scenes of all of a sudden it's like Molly, who is very standoffish towards her, is all of a sudden like, you're in. Yes. You're part of us now. What about, well, obviously we'd vote for, we'd each throw a vote Kingsley's way. We love him. Kingsley is great. Kingsley, just a solid guy. You want him next to you. And really a thankless role in the ferment of the order. Like, yeah. doesn't get a lot of shine, but is absolutely essential in the things that he does. She's a monster, but you know who I love for comedic value and plot propulsion? Rita Skeeter. Yeah, a she's bri- a brilliant invention. I agree. Terrible person and also continues the easy stereotype of the story-hungry press person that yes. is in, kind of goes across genre. Like, it's a big thing in Die Hard is like the reporter who's terrible. But I also love Rita Skeeter. My favorite minor character is uh, Marvolo Gaunt. Wow. <laughs> Just Damn, kidding, guys. <laughs> I like Lee Jordan. I love his I like commentary well. during Quidditch matches. That's always a riot. Super fun. Can I just have a take? Yeah. Should not be allowed to call Gryffindor matches. 
true, though when Megalian's in charge, you know. Yeah, Megalian is like— uh, One of her best long con bits is pretending like she's mad at Lee Jordan Lee, for uh, the biased commentary. Stop it. <laughs> well, there's also, like, when she's like, are you out here to sell brooms? Like, what are you doing? I secretly think she just doesn't want to call attention, wider <laughs> attention to the fact that her best player has the best equipment. It's a great theory. What about Ludo Bagman? Ludo Bagman, we need a scumbag out there who's on the good guy's side. I kind of like that thing. Ludo Bagman to me is one of the, even though it makes sense and you understand why they did it, I'm bummed this guy got cut out of the movie characters for me, which I think is maybe an effective way to think about this question. Like Cram suggested that earlier. Like, who do you miss? That's like Mundungus Fletcher. Yeah, or like Peeves. Yeah. (laughs) He's Mundungus Fletcher, obviously, in the movies, but I like a good guy who's a little bit of a scumbag. I think that's one of the things that... I could use a little bit more of sometimes in the story. Real loose interpretation of good guy there with your Mundungus propaganda. I'm just saying, you know, he's like, he's a helpful dude. You want his skills in the fold, even though he's clearly not a person you would leave around your stuff. It's true. Keep your silver goblets and house crests away from him. Jay, I'm proud of you for keeping your Millicent Bulstrode love in check for for this episode. Uh, (laughs) You're showing a lot of growth. Thank you very much. Number eight, Gretchen Shiflet. How can you justify Cursed Child is not canon when it was written by J.K. herself? I understand the story is somewhat ridiculous, but I think we have to consider it canon. It's not like we are going to believe in an alternate story if someone else writes it in 20 years. Let me clarify something. When I say not canon, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a bit. It's a joke. We don't mean that. We don't mean that. I accept it as canon. And I think, although (laughs) not written by J.K. herself. Not exclusively. A not exclusive. Co-author. Co-author. Co-written by the playwright Jack Thorne and then the production directed by John Tiffany. So right. this is a joint effort. It is not purely J.K. Rowling's creation, which is right. a legitimate asterisk. It doesn't mean it's not canon. Right. But We're not saying it's, it's not canon. It's, not canon. it's, <laughs> it's worth at it's least canon. mentioning. It's canon. Now, obviously, Cursed Child is a play, but... I think it is notable that when you read Cursed Child, it doesn't sound like the other books. It doesn't sound like J.K.R.'s voice. It's weird how non-canon stuff doesn't feel like (laughs) it. I'm just kidding. I think part of it, we should own this, is that we have not had the pleasure of seeing Cursed Child live. People who have seen it in person pretty close to unanimously say this is exceptional. I think there's probably just something that is lost in translation when you're just reading it like the flat, your eyes looking at the page. Obviously— when we read the Harry Potter books, we're reading them on a page and they come to life beautifully in our minds. So that feels like a weird excuse for the play. I've always struggled with that a bit, but just going by what people say, it seems to be a massive gap between how people who've just read it feel and how people who've seen it in person feel. And it's a different medium. They're trying to do something different. The intent is different. The team crafting it is different. Mm -hmm. She's a part of it. It's sanctioned and it is canon. canon. It is canon. Now, when I say not canon, it's a bit, but I think it's also... Stories like this are really like living, breathing worlds that you inhabit. You feel like you know these characters and you know the way they speak and the way they interact and the things that they do make sense to you within the context of the reality of that story. You feel an ownership over that world because of that, because you live in it in that way. But then when the person who really does own that world decides to do something else, do something new, do something with it, it can be jarring. And I think... This is an issue that comes up all the time and with George Lucas, with George R. R. Martin, with Rowling. So I am joking when I say that. I'm being facetious. But it's also like part of that feeling of ownership that we all have over a story 
because we love it. Right. But I'm joking. It's canon. It's canon. It's not canon. I would go so far as to say that I think every single thing she says about the story is canon. She is the voice of God. She is the voice of God. We mean that sincerely. When she says, yeah, Dumbledore's gay, that is canon. Canon. Just because it did not appear in one of the seven books does not mean it it is is not canon. canon. She has said it. It is part of her creation in her world. It is canon. Everything that goes on Pottermore is canon. Yes. You know, just like everything in A World of Ice and Fire is canon. If the author and the world builder is saying that this is a part of the story in the universe, then it is. And I agree. We will not stop making the not canon jokes, but just so you know, that we is agree that it's where canon. We stand on it. It's canon. It's not canon. Not canon. <laughs> it's canon. It's canon. <laughs> Number nine. Reese Pistol. Incredible name. Great names this week. Reese says, we had a thread on the Facebook group. Shouts to the Facebook group. We had a thread on the Facebook group discussing our pets' houses. We would love to know what houses Halo and Milton belong to. Did they follow their mom and dad into Ravenclaw? Wow. Mil- I think Milton is clearly a Hufflepuff. Okay. He's just a loyal friend. Aww. Well, not the- He's like a Hufflepuff with Slytherin tendencies. He likes yeah. to bend the rules. If he can eat early, he will. Yeah. If he can, like, find some food on the ground, he will. If you ask him to do something, he'll be like, do you have a treat? At the same time, he is very loving and very loyal, and it's wonderful to be around him. I think Halo has a little bit of every house in him. Mm. He's brave and true. He's loyal and just. He's brilliant. And when he needs to be, he's conniving. (laughs) And I respect that in him. You know, I think if I had to pick, I would say, I think Halo is a Ravenclaw. Because Mm. I honestly think he's a genius. He's brilliant. He's a problem solver. I'll say, he can't go into the closet now, bud, and he'll open the door. Yeah. Like, he just knows how. Milton is very smart. He's so smart. He has the patterns and the routines, where sounds are, what things mean, when we're coming home, all of it. He's like legions beyond where many of the people I know are in terms of their ability to perceive something and solve a problem. But he's also such a loyal friend, and that's Puffian, you know? Yeah, for me, Milton clearly has no Gryffindor in him. He's not brave. Halo's brave. If he hears a loud sound, he runs to see what it is. If I yeah. if I scream, like if I see a spider, for example, like Ron, you know, I get scared and I scream. And my little guy, he doesn't hide. He doesn't cower. He runs to my defense. He's like my guardian. He's my Patronus. That's Maybe right. Halo's a Gryffindor. Interesting. Milton, but, definitely not a Gryffindor. Like if there's a loud noise, if there's fireworks, he goes to the closet and he sits in there and cowers in there. Halo like didn't like the fireworks. They really disturb him. But he also, he assumed his position at the window and kept watch all night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good job. Love Halo. Love yes. Milton. Pets are great. Last, Anders Drew. Mm. Before plumbing, wizards would just go to the bathroom and vanish the evidence. (laughs) Yes. But Hogwarts students don't learn vanishing spells until around year five. So what are all the students between years one and four doing? Oh, my God. This is an incredible thought experiment. Wow. You go first. You tell me what you think. First of all, quickly. I think they just shit their pants. (laughs) So I have to assume that before plumbing— before indoor plumbing, before Myrtle's U-Bend and all these bathrooms popped up all over the place, the vanishing spell was probably taught earlier. It was a year mm, one thing, maybe even a young witch and wizard tutorial. We think that muggles have it bad, but you don't have to keep asking your parents to wipe your ass when you're like wow. 14. Right. So this sounds like it would have been really tough. Swipeo. I think that <laughs> my theory is that wizard parents would 
cast some kind of vanishing charm around their home mm-hmm. so that it's like an area effect. Okay. And so that the kids could shit on the ground anywhere within that area, <laughs> right. but then it would disappear. Oh, well, like, not just like a deodorizer or something or like that, or, a disinfectant. or maybe even like diapers that have like some kind of vanishing oh my God, charm I, on the back of them. I so you just really... shit right into the diaper and it just disappears. <laughs> <laughs> like Hermione's like ever extending purse, yeah. but for your ass. Yes. <laughs> like or the way that she casts the um, the water, Impervious, the water yeah. repelling thing on his on the glasses. So you cast the vanishing spell on the inside of the diaper. Why not just wear that into adulthood is the question. <laughs> Because you could just keep going. You just never have to leave your workstation or whatever you're doing. You just be like, uh, hold on. Oh, okay. I, and you keep going. A horrible thought just struck me. Sure. It probably just all fell on the house elves before. Yeah, that's, probably the, that's probably the truth. Oh, God. That's probably true. Dobby! <laughs> oh, no. The children have shit on the ground again. <laughs> Pick it up. And then get me my sandwich. But wash your hands. Don't forget with what water. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's like there's no water. Be like Akio, a basin, Akio bucket. <laughs> oh boy! Nothing like that era of of wizarding history when everybody is just shitting everywhere on the ground. This <laughs> fucking wild story. <laughs> I gotta assume the vanishing spell was just the first thing they learned. That's got to be a thing when you're in Hogwarts and you learn that. You're like, wait a second, what? Hold on. <laughs> You telling me that Godric Gryffindor was just out here shitting like in the corner? Maybe that's why he's, the uh, real cause of the rift between the founders. Maybe, maybe they had identified a different shit corner in the elevator. Maybe that's why Slytherin made the Chamber of Secrets. He's like, I'm not doing this around you anymore. I need to go somewhere where I can have peace. Oh my! God. And read the Wizarding paper and shit. It's all just him and the true King of Serpents. That's right. The pure bloods. Only pure bloods can drop deuce in this room. Amazingly, that was the last question we selected for today. And that is actually the <laughs> conclusion of this podcast. Yes. Friends, thank you for joining us today. Snape was right. He was. This has something to do with Potter. It always does. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you were as excited as we are for the rest of this journey. And that you'll join us again next week as we begin our two-week-long Goblet of Fire deep dive on Monday, July 30th. We will do another one of these all HP Ask the Underscore soon. This was super fun. Thank you again for all your questions. Keep them coming in the future. And until we're back with Goblet, remember, we knew your father very well, both at Hogwarts and later. He would have saved Binge Mode too. We're sure of it. We will subjugate the muggles, raise the purebloods to rule over the wizarding world, and we will erase the influence of muggles and half-bloods from our midst. Sir, Dark Lord, but what about the toilets? Is it not a muggle invention? Hmm, good point, good point. We will keep the toilets. Yes, I think we will keep the toilets, but don't mention this to anyone. After we have succeeded in overthrowing Dumbledore and the Ministry!